Thanks, Richard, for reading. Um, please do keep Ecclesiastes open, if you can. Happy New Year to you all. Um, we're on page 553. Um, be a real help if you keep that open. Because we're starting a new series. We're going to step through the text, and uh, we're going to refer back to those verses a few times. So page 553, Ecclesiastes 1. And let me start by asking this question. Um, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? What's the, what's the plan? What's the plan for your life? Some of you here might have a really clear idea of where you want to go with life. Maybe it's already going. Uh, maybe some of you here are at the very beginning of thinking that through and figuring that out. I remember when I was um, at secondary school, um, I had this idea quite early on, a bit of a weird idea, but I had this idea that I wanted to be an economist or a banker. I'm not quite sure why, but you know, the kind of guy who, who wears a suit, um, is in a swishy sort of London office, gets to drink decent coffee, that kind of thing. Um, we all have goals in your life. I wonder what yours is. Um, something you want to be, somewhere you want to go. Uh, it's often the, the goals that we, that we have in life, the aspirations that we have, that give meaning to the things we do to try and achieve those goals, those aspirations. Um, like exams, take exams. Um, I remember the pressure of exams in school and that feeling that everything hung on how that next exam went, whether I passed it or not. And I remember catastrophically failing uh, one of my AS level January exams in, in economics, which is quite key if you want to do an economics degree. Um, I still can't figure out why that happened. It was a total um, anomaly. I was gutted. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, oh man, if I don't pass this reset, it's all going to go horribly wrong. I won't be able to go off to uni the way I planned. I won't be able to get the job I wanted to get, all those aspirations, all those hopes, all those dreams in my life. It's all going to be ruined. It seemed like such a big deal. So achieving grades it became meaningful. It became something that gave me purpose because I wanted to achieve something through them. Now, when the time came, I did pass that reset. Got it. And after an unintended gap year, as a result of that, a fresh UCAS application, eventually I got off to university. And I eventually got that job in London. I got to wear the suit and the swishy, Googleish office, and got to drink a lot of decent coffee, which was lovely. Um, five years in, I was a manager. Um, had I stuck with that job, um, career projection is eight to 10 years, company partner, that was kind of normal if you were on that kind of career path. And I knew a partner um, during my time um, in that job. Um, he was a guy who kind of had a couple of homes, used to travel occasionally by, uh, by helicopter places. And when he retired, he treated the whole um, department to a boat party on the Thames with an open bar. Um, maybe that could have been me. Uh, sounds like a pretty good life to me. Until you consider two things, um, two very important things. Uh, one, um, in companies, uh, people come and people go. They come and they go. And within two years of that man retiring, hardly anyone could remember his name or what he'd done for the company that he'd spent most of his life devoted to. And I wager that within 10 years, no one will remember him at all. And then consider the other thing. Given his age at the point of retirement, I reckon he had between 20 and 25 years to enjoy that retirement before he died like everyone else. Sobering realities. It begs the question, if everything you work for is eventually forgotten, and if in the end we 
die like everyone else, what's the point? What's the point in all that hard work? Like, seriously, like, consider, what is the point of working really, really hard to pass all those exams? And I'm aware in saying that, at this point, I've got all the parents in the room really worried, right? <laughs> what's, what is the point of working hard for all those exams? Parents, what's, what's the point in all those long hours in the office? Um, what's, the, what's the point of working hard to get onto that sports team, to keep your place in the sports team? What's the point of striving hard to achieve all those goals? If everything you achieve is ultimately forgotten in time, and in the end we meet the same end as if we'd never bothered in the first place, why don't we all just sit on the sofa, pop up a tub of ice cream, and watch the telly? It doesn't seem to make any sense if our hard work makes no difference. That's the big problem the preacher of Ecclesiastes is wrestling with. It's the same problem we need to wrestle with if we want to think about what we want to do with our lives, if we want to think about the purpose of our lives, if we want to think what's it all about, why are we doing what we're doing. Now, the preacher um, who we read about in Ecclesiastes, he's, um, he's styled on King Solomon from the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament kings of Israel. Um, he is the, he's the man who, who had it all, a bit like that partner, that company partner I referred to earlier. He had all the material desires the world had to offer, he had all those relational desires that he could want fulfilled. He had all the experiences the world had to offer. He had the money, he had the sex, he had the frills of life. This is a man who had all the things that you daydream about. I wonder what that is for you. What are those things that you daydream about? Everything you've ever wanted from life, this man had it. And yet, as he contemplates his life, um, the world and all the good stuff that he's experienced, this is his conclusion. He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Um, vanity of vanities means utterly vain. It is utterly vain. It's a strong universal declaration from the man who has it all. It is all vain. What does it mean by vanity? Well, let's just clarify at the very beginning. He do, what he doesn't mean is meaningless. He doesn't mean that everything is meaningless. Elsewhere in the book, we see that the preacher here, he is a believer in God. He thinks it is good to fear God. We read that he believes that God made the world and that there is some purpose for the world. So vanity doesn't mean meaningless. He's not saying everything is meaningless. Rather, it's just that for the preacher, the meaning of things is sometimes hard to make sense of. It's hard to make sense of. A better word to use to describe vanity might be incompatible. Incompatible, we'll explain what that means. Take the career example from earlier. If a hardworking millionaire business partner, if he meets the same end as the person who sits all their time sitting on the sofa eating ice cream and watching the telly, what is the meaning of all that hard work the business partner puts in, all the, all the sweat and the tears and the dedication to that career progress? Because all that work, it doesn't seem to improve the ultimate outcome of his life. It's not obvious what the meaning of his work really was. All that hard work, it seems utterly incompatible with the result of that work, which is 
not a lot. Because in the end, he'll still die, and in the end, eventually, no one's going to remember who he was anyway or what he did. What was the meaning of his work? So we might try and render verse 2 like this, something like this. Utterly incompatible, says the preacher. Utterly incompatible. All is incompatible because, verse 3, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's the key question of Ecclesiastes. What's the point in doing anything? History just seems to go round and round and round and round. I'm going to die one day. No one's going to remember me. If I toil all day long, it doesn't seem to change these fundamental facts of my life. It brings no ultimate advantage to me or the world in the end. Now, as I say all this, does that feel uncomfortable? <laughs> does that feel like an uncomfortable thing to sort of contemplate and sit in and stew in? Because it's, it's re it really should. It's really meant to. That's what Ecclesiastes is doing to us as we opening up. The preacher's conclusion is that life just makes no sense. Makes no sense. But at this point, we don't despair because we're not going to stop there. That's not where the preacher leaves us, not where the Bible leaves us. But this is the beginning of his thought process, and I want us to enter into it with him. If we're willing to join the preacher on this journey, we might be able to come out the other end with a more concrete sense of the meaning of our lives, a more concrete sense of our purpose in life as Christians, a more concrete sense of hope. And spoiler alert, the answer is going to be Jesus. But let's see why. Um, let's just begin by stepping through verses 4 to 11. As the preacher shows us the vanity of life under the sun. Three themes, no memory, no progress, no rest. No memory, no progress, no rest. First, no memory. Um, we're going to do things just a little bit differently as well. We're going, to, we're going to start from the outside and work our way in from verse 4 to 11 to come to something in the center. Starting at verse 4, a generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And in verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And the basic argument of the preacher here is that whilst the earth just keeps going and going, people come and go constantly. A bit like that firm I was talking about earlier. People come and people go. And we tend to forget the past. It's a trait of human history. When was the last time you read a book other than the Bible that's more than 100 years old? interesting thought. Um, perhaps you've um, wandered in a graveyard and you've seen those kind of moss-covered gravestones where you can't read the names anymore. They're not really cared for. Um, we tend to forget the past, and one day we'll be the past. So why should anyone remember us better than we've remembered the people who went before? Um, Let's just consider for a moment peer pressure. 
<clears throat> that feeling of wanting to fit in, of wanting people to like us. Why do we do that? Why do we care so much? Well, I guess, I guess it's because we, we root our identity, in part, in what people think of us and how people will remember us. We want to be remembered well. But how many people are really going to remember us? And for how long? Something we think matters a lot, but how long are they really going to remember us? Um, can anyone here name their great-great-grandfather? Um, if you can, um, what was his best character trait? Um, what was really annoying about him? Any ideas? Um, okay, let's, let's do sport topics. The starting 11 football players for the England World Cup win in 1966, which I reckon was a pretty big deal at the time. You might get one or two, maybe there's one or two boffins who can name them all. I imagine most of us would struggle with that. Probably a pretty big deal at the time. Um, but it highlights this idea that one day we'll probably all be forgotten. How do we feel about that? Why bother with all the toil of everything? It doesn't make sense. Unless, and there is a big unless here, unless there was someone who does remember, someone who does remember everything you do, or even better, someone who planned everything you would do. Consider how Jesus remembers you. Consider how Jesus remembers you. He remembers you in everything you do, and he knows who you are at the most intimate level. His words in Matthew 10, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. In the Psalms, O Lord, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about you, everything you've ever done, and everything you're going to do. And he loves you if you're someone who follows him and trusts in him. It's a beautiful truth. Your works are not forgotten. But even the seemingly mundane activities of your life, like exams, they're all intimately planned and woven into this big tapestry that covers all of time and space, everything that's ever been, everything that ever will be. Now consider that business partner I told you earlier that no one remembers or no one will remember. There was another partner at the firm at the same time, a Christian man, and he used his position in that firm. He used it, and he used his skill, and he used his money to fund gospel mission and to enable and participate in evangelism in his workplace. And he served on the finance committee at church, serving faithfully. Even one day, even if no one at his, his firm or even at his church, even if no one remembers him, Jesus is going to remember him. He's going to remember his faithful work for him. Jesus is not going to forget. Let's just step into those verses a bit more. So verses 5 and 6 and then 8 and 9. So we're working our way in. Um, let's have a look at verses 5 to 6. No progress. No progress. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. And then verse 9, same theme. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. 
and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been done in the ages before us. Um, read those verses. Yes, sure, the sun moves across the sky and the wind blows, but eventually they just end up back where they started, round and round and round. What did they achieve for all their movements? It's just like human history. We, uh, we think we're really clever and progressive, um, but we just keep repeating the same patterns of behavior over and over again. And what do we really achieve for all our effort and all our toil? Um, war looks quite different today than it used to, but no amount of technological or educational progress has made that go away. As clever as we think we are, people just prefer using missiles and drones rather than swords and spears these days. Different types of war, same problems. Round and round. What's the point of all those lost lives, those cycles just happening again or again? Or maybe take a, an example that's maybe more f immediately familiar to us. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, big Christmas lunch, Happy New Year, January diets, eventually a summer holiday comes around, the new school term, firework night, Halloween pumpkins, back to Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Massive Christmas lunch, Happy New Year, January diets. It just seems to keep going. It's not going anywhere. It makes no sense. Unless, again, another big unless, unless there was someone who had a plan that was actually progressing history, a plan for the whole of history progressing in one direction. Consider this, how Jesus first made the world and then he says this in Matthew 28. He made the world, and now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. And he says to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You might feel like your life is going nowhere. Maybe you didn't get the grades you wanted. Maybe you got cut from the sports team that you were desperately trying hard to stay in. Maybe you're feeling lonely and you're not quite sure how, how you're going to get out of that. Maybe you're in a bit of a rut. Because like nothing's going to change and the world just keeps going round and round. Jesus tells us that it is not true. The world is not just going round and round and round. There will eventually be an end to the ages. Things will not go round and round forever. We're heading somewhere. We're progressing. There's a mission and a purpose to life now that the kingdom of God might grow and continue to grow, that we might be Jesus' faithful witnesses in the world in the here and the now and into the future. If you're here and you're trusting in Jesus, you're part of that. You're part of that plan for all time. Your life is going somewhere. The world, the universe is going somewhere. <coughs> Let's step into the passage again, verses 7 to 8, and consider the final point of the preacher. No rest. He's considering the lack 
of any ultimate rest or satisfaction in life. Verse 7. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And then the second half of verse 8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. It's kind of an obvious point, isn't it, in some ways? No matter how much the rivers flow into the sea, the sea never seems to get full, never reaches capacity. Um, to put it another way, no matter how hard we work, maybe a bit like Hamilton, we'll never be satisfied. We'll never be satisfied. We'll never be finished. We'll never enter a state of rest. The eyes are never going to be done with seeing. The ears never done with hearing. We'll never enter a state of rest. In 2003, Johnny Wilkinson, do you remember him? Scored an amazing drop goal. It's in England to Rugby World Cup glory. It's pretty impressive stuff. But here are his reflections on the high point of his fame. He says this, I knew that before I woke up the following morning, that's as good as I would probably feel. I realized that at 24 years old, I couldn't afford to let that be the pinnacle of my career. It would have been nice to say the pressure was off, but ultimately, unfortunately, I put the pressure back on myself. Any sense of nirvana as a result was swiftly replaced by deep anxiety. After all that time and effort, I thought, what now? Where was the rest for Johnny at the height of his fame, with all of his achievement? Was it all really more meaningful than just sitting on the sofa in front of the telly eating ice cream? What's the difference in the end? You're starting to see the preacher's point? It doesn't make any sense. Unless, another big unless, unless there was someone who could finally give us rest. Or someone who could go even further and put us in a permanent state of rest with him in glory in a perfect world. Consider Jesus' promise of rest. In Matthew 11, he says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will Find rest for your souls. The relentless pressures and worries of life, they might have left you feeling hope, hopeless. But Jesus promises that one day you will meet the end allotted for all who believe in him, all who follow him, all who trust in him. Perfect rest. That's what Johnny needed. He needed perfect rest with Jesus. And that's what each of us needs as well. Now, right in the center of those lines, there's one bit we skipped over right at the start of verse 8, which is we get the concluding thought in the center of the, of the preacher. When he considers all the things under the sun, he says this in conclusion, verse 8, all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. All things are full of weariness and man cannot utter it. 
Now, the sobering reality is if you are here as someone not trusting in Jesus yet, this is the only conclusion you'll ever come to. Often are full of weariness. If you consider this world on its own terms, without any reference to the one who made it, all things are full of weariness. But come back with me to verse 3. There's an important detail we need to not miss. Verse 3. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils, keyword, under the sun? The keyword is under the sun. Under the sun means everything in the world that we see. If you think of the perspective, we look up at the sun, everything is under the sun, poetically, except that which is above the sun. Now, Jesus, he is not under the sun because he made the sun. Ecclesiastes, it's a picture of history with no memory, no progress, and no rest, which is exactly where you end up without Jesus in your life. That's exactly where you end up without Jesus in your life. But taking the wider Bible into account, we know that history, it's not circular, it's linear. It's come from somewhere, and it's going somewhere. It's a straight line. It might not feel like that to us, but it's come from somewhere, and it is going somewhere. It came from Jesus when he made the world, and it's going to Jesus to rest in glory in the new creation. It's Jesus who gives meaning to everything. It's Jesus who makes sense of everything. He's the one who remembers. He is the one who progresses. And he is the one who promises rest at the end of it all. It's all in Jesus. And if you're younger here, you've got more time than the rest of us to get this right, to live your whole life from this moment onwards for Jesus, not for some life goal or some aspiration, I'm telling you now, I've been there. It's not the answer. It's not the answer, those life goals. It won't satisfy. It won't give you what you're craving, the recognition or the achievement. Vanity of vanities without Jesus. All is vanity without him. It makes no sense. If you're here as a, an adult hearing this, it's not too late. See the undeniable logic of the preacher today right at the beginning of Ecclesiastes. Consider what you want to do with your life. Think about the goals, the ideals, the daydreams. Without Jesus, it's all vanity. What are you going to do with your life? Nothing matters, ultimately, without him. But with Jesus, everything matters. And I invite you to stick with us in Ecclesiastes as we step through in the coming weeks to see why that is the case. Let me close this in prayer. Father God, thank you that we know Jesus. Thank you that he has revealed himself to us. 
Lord, help us to realize the folly of pursuing life without the one who made life. Lord, help us to consider our idols. Help us to turn from the idols of recognition and achievement and rest, whatever that might look like for us. Help us to turn to Jesus that we might find our purpose and our rest in him. Lord, I pray that you help us to turn to Jesus when things don't make sense in our lives. Help us to look to him for purpose and meaning to make sense of the things that we find really hard to understand. Help us to trust him in his great plan for all time and for all space and for all people. May our trust be in Christ and not the things of this world. Amen.